focus will be each Sunday morning here as we are doing our uh, community restoration series uh, from our Safely Home series. And we're getting into the point where we're talking about some pretty serious things. And I, I really don't like to be too, uh, too serious on Sunday mornings, but we are going to address an issue, uh, and I'll introduce it today, that's an important one for us to really think about, for us to consider. Because when we're talking about community restoration, we're thinking about how the church needs to be prepared for that time when God will restore our culture, hopefully, to uh, a, a position where we are more a Christian nation again. We're going to discuss how that looks and why we think we're not in that right now. Because here's the premise. The church in America is living in a period of cultural captivity, I believe. It once was primarily a Christian culture, but now it is largely neo-pagan. Now, neo-pagan is just simply a word. Neo means new. And it means that whenever you're thinking about paganism, and paganism is not an Old Testament uh, terminology, it's a New Testament, but it's one we refer back in English translations of the Old Testament of what is called idolatry or idol worship. Now, idol worship wasn't always just worshiping little gods, little idols, little trinkets. Idol worship was the ideas of anything that fell against the law of God. Is he okay? Don't worry about him. I'm going to just take good care of him. Baba can take care of him. Oh, bless his heart. You know how many kids have bumped their heads on, this, on these pews over the years. That's nothing new. Cheyenne, did you bump your head on one of these pews more than once over the years? I bet you have. <laughs> well, as we think about this idea here of paganism, what it means is that when I refer to neo-paganism, what I'm talking about is we no longer seek God's law or his principles, patterns, or truths that guide us. We have fallen back into a humanistic pattern where uh, whatever people say or humans say is right, and moral and good, we are following that instead of following what the Bible says. And I could give you a thousand illustrations of that, but I think you know what we're talking about. It really means that our cultural values are defined and driven by what we call in Scripture hollow and deceptive philosophies of pagan secular socialism instead of Judeo-Christian ethics, morality, or republicanism. Now, the idea behind the Judeo-Christian ethic or morality that we talk about is that it is Bible-based. It is based upon the traditions of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. And it's one of those things where we understand that God is blessing us through the divine word and the truth that he has given to us over several thousand of years from the time that Moses wrote the book of Genesis all the way in through the completion of the New Testament. And in addition, the system of our governance here in America was originally based upon the Judeo-Christian framework. So fundamentally, as it transitions to this neo-pagan secular socialism, it will fail as socialism has always failed, whether it's in the form of communism or Nazism. 
But the problem is that it leaves in its wake millions of innocent victims. Because those who are children of God either don't speak up quickly enough or they are pushed off to a corner and isolated. Now, I believe historians might look back on the next 25 years here in America as another great holocaust in which innocent victims will be brutalized and bullied by the neo-pagan socialist party. And as Christians are exiled into this cultural captivity, we have one or two choices. We can remain faithful to the Lord as we as it says in Jeremiah 29, 4-7, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase, num increase your number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now we know these are the words that Jeremiah spoke to the Israelites, to the children of Israel that were in captivity. And the general principle here that God has for us is that if you are his children, if we find ourselves in any kind of situation where he, where the culture that uh, we're living in is not controlled by his word, his promise, his truth, his principles, we can still prosper in that culture. It is the same kind of idea that Paul and Peter gave to the early church. Don't worry about the culture that you are living in. Serve Christ, honor him, be productive, seek his peace and prosperity, and wherever you are, God will bless you. So we can choose that, or we can choose to listen to the false prophets and priests who are not personally following God right now and fall prey to what Jeremiah described in verse 17 and 18 of Jeremiah 29 as sword, famine, and plague against them. And I will make them like figs that are so bad that they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth and, cur and a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. Now what we need to take from these predictions here from Jeremiah is this. Is that if we choose to follow God, even if the culture is spoiled in which we live, we can thrive. If we choose to go along with the culture and believe those false prophets or voices within the church or within um, Christendom that says, you know, you should just go along with the world to get along with the world. In other words, we need to compromise our principles, compromise our teaching, compromise what the Bible says by saying, well, the Bible doesn't really say that when it really does, and we play with words with that. And if we do, then we become complicit in what God says when he brings the sword and famine and plague against culture. He said, now why would God do that? Well, he brought that against his own chosen children in Israel to demonstrate that he is fair and he's just, that he's righteous. He warned them over and over and over again. And yet they refused to listen to him or obey. So our Safely Home series is more than just a sermon series. It is our effort to respond to the captivity in which we find ourselves in the church. 
And based upon the teachings of Jeremiah and the supportive teachings in the New Testament, we believe God will restore the church and the community of believers so that we can restore the Judeo-Christian principles and patterns which have guided Western civilization and helped found the United States of America. And we're not in this alone. So people say, well, we know what the Bible says. It says a lot of things that seem to be outdated or archaic or they don't seem to be relevant today. Well, listen very carefully. What we're facing today in America is an effort by those who are seeking to destroy not just America, but in the effort of destroying America, they're trying to destroy the church. They want to destroy the church because they no longer want to abide by the Judeo-Christian values or principles and patterns which have guided us for centuries in Western civilization because they think from their own minds they have a better way to do it. And if you want to read about a technique that is being used uh, specifically towards that, I would uh, guide you to read a book by Ben Shapiro called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Now, Ben is not a Christian. He's Jewish. But he has um, respect for the Judeo-Christian values of our society. And he lays out very logically and succinctly the attack on the church and on America today that seeks to destroy it so that neo-pagan secular socialism can take its place. Now you might be saying, well, what difference does that make to me? Well, if we really want to have a safe home in which our children live and safe communities where they can grow up, then we need to understand that if we don't apply these principles and patterns of Scripture, then our communities nor our churches, nor our homes will be safe places for them. The principles and patterns of restoration Jeremiah describes are the principles and patterns of restoration that are described in the New Testament, which if we in the church will devote ourselves to, will guide us to the restoration of our nation. God promise, promises His people that if we will be faithful to Him then he will help us or he will sustain us until that restoration comes because the Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So in the end, the church will always win. Now, it may not have the kind of influence or it may not have the kind of uh, majority uh, respect as it once had, but it still will win because we know God would seek to restore any remnant of believers, as Scripture promises and as the story of Jeremiah uh, exemplifies, that God will seek to restore the remnant. And today we're going to discuss how. One of the ways he does that is by homogenizing our thinking. Now, homogenize just simply means to uh, take us, our thinking, and get it where we're all back on the same page. We want to homogenize our thinking. But God also must take some time through the church to heal our trauma. When we drift away from Him and we drift into neo-paganism or idolatry, there are many who are victims of that 
sin, of that drifting, of that backsliding, and they're going to be traumatized by it. Now we might think, oh, it's no big deal, nothing bad's going to happen to people, they seem to be getting along okay. But remember what God says here, he's going to make them so corrupt that they will be like figs that, cannot, that are so bad they cannot be eaten, meaning they're just so unhealthy and so rotten in heart and mind that they cannot even uh, be productive or um, uh, get through life. And we'll dis discuss some illustrations of that. But the other thing God must do is he must be uh, habitating our future or our treasure. And what the Bible teaches us is that he does that through our communities and our families, and we'll get into that as well. So the only hope we have to restore our communities as envisioned by God is to enjoy what the New Testament describes as a singleness of thought, engage in a soberness of mind, and encourage a spiritual sense of heart, which then transforms our community into the safe homes we desire. So let's look, dig a little deeper into each one of these principles and patterns which can help us restore our community so that we can get safely home to heaven. In order for restoration to take place, we, Christians in the church, we must participate in the process God will use to accomplish this in our culture. We can no longer sit on the back steps or up in the bleachers while other people do work, the lion's share of the work for fighting for God in our culture. Because the first thing God says in Jeremiah, I will do, and we went over these a few weeks ago, but we'll go over them again. God says, I will do. He says he will homogenize our thinking so that we can become one nation under God again. And then he'll heal our trauma so that we can be the strongest, most capable nation in the world again. And then he will habitat our treasure so our churches can be central again. And I apologize if I'm sounding like a politician who was in office again. Now we'll take a this will take place in accordance with his plan so that we can so that what, we'll, what we will do today is examine the pattern we see in Jeremiah of this restoration and then consider the principles as it's applied to the New Testament that we can use. So let's talk about how God says, I will homogenize your thinking. Jeremiah 30, verse 3. Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. I will. Now, we know that this is a specific promise to those who are in exile, they're in captivity in Babylon. He's going to bring them back uh, after a 70-year period of discipline. They're going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, reestablish their community, the the. Uh, their uh, sense of existence as people, as a nation. And God says, I will do this. And why will he do this? Because we learn from Daniel, God had a plan. God's plan was to reestablish Israel so that the coming of the Son would be clear. The Messiah would come and then save them. God says, I will bring my people. And when God says, I will do it, you can count on it. 
Because the pattern we see in Jeremiah is that we can count what well, that we can count on is that he brought all the people back together and restored their thinking that they were that they once had that they were as a nation, the chosen nation of Israel. And people of that day and age would have day and age would have thought that to be impossible. Why? Because the northern kingdom, the Israelites, were scattered all over the world by the Assyrian army. And the Judah, the tribe of Judah and tribe of Benjamin of the southern kingdom, they had been taken into captivity. And those who were not taken into capti- capti- captivity had been completely destroyed and annihilated, except for those who escaped to Egypt. And then they were killed there. God says he's going to do a miracle here to Jeremiah. He's going to bring the people back together. He's going to restore them. And he's going to restore them around their sense of community, that they are one. And God wants to do the same thing for us. What is it that the pagan, secular, socialist culture tries to do? Well, they try to divide us with divisive identity politics. We're black or we're white or we're brown or we're Asian or we're this or that. We're male, we're female. There's intersectionality that's involved with everything. And as pagan secular socialism depends on this divisive identity politics, it is technology that has taken us captive to this argument, this divide. And you'll notice that um, in the Twitterverse, there are sides that people take and they are entrenched in those sides. And those who own Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, if they don't like what it is that you're saying, they will censor you. They'll block you. Why? Because in the divisive technique of identity politics, we cannot have conversations because when we have conversations, we might find things we agree upon and we find peace, oneness. I thought it was funny. There's a new movie out called Stillwater. It's got Matt Damon in it. And the reason that I thought it was funny is because it's based upon a man from Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I know where Stillwater, Oklahoma is. And he's a roughneck on an oil crew. I know, and I know what a roughneck is. My grandpa was a roughneck, worked for Shell Oil back in the days. And those guys were really gruff. And series of circumstances His daughter gets captured or put in prison in France, and I haven't seen the movie yet, but I don't know that I will. But in the course of him explaining why, how he got into character, Matt Damon says, I went out to Oklahoma and I hung around all these roughnecks, these guys from Oklahoma that everybody in Hollywood or in New York thinks are a bunch of rubes. And he said, I found out, I found out there's a lot of good people out there. He said, I've made a lot of good friends. And he said, if the politicians would just be quiet and let us get together and talk, we'd probably get things figured out. But they don't want that. They don't want us to do that in person. They don't want us to do that online because they know that if that happens, God can homogenize our thinking and we can see ourselves as one people again. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that God wants to restore a singleness of thought. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. How do we strive for full restoration? By encouraging one another and being of one mind. Singleness of thought so that we can live in peace. 
There are a lot of things that we can disagree on, but there are many more things that we can find agreement on, that we can live in peace about. The pagan secular, sexual, secular socialism uh, movement doesn't want us to have a singleness of thought. But the New Testament principle, which we apply to our circumstance, is we become one, of one mind as a nation under God, and we will be fully restored. And that scares the dickens out of the PSS, these pagan people. Because if we are one mind, one nation, under God, indivisible, we offer liberty and justice for all, then they can't keep us separated and steal everything that we give to them from behind our backs. Martin Luther King, Jr., he had a speech in which he used the term thermostats, not thermometers. We are thermostats, not thermometers. He used that illustration in a couple different instances. I think I have a quote up here. From him, the early Christians rejoiced when they were when they de were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a ther thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And what he meant by that is we controlled the temperature because we are the thermostat, not the thermometer. And in the church, we can't just kind of gauge what the temperature is. We need to be in control of what that temperature might be. I think about Elizabeth's dad when uh, we first uh, got married. Uh, no one touched the thermostat in his house. And he, got, you know, he was a very patient and quiet man, but if you touched that thermostat, you could really get him a grumbling because uh, there are a lot of things that are attached to that. And, I, and I'm pretty much the same way anymore because when you're paying an electric bill and you know, someone runs the thermostat down and gets super cold, where you're thinking, you know, it's just cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. So what I did was I put a, uh, a, a coin slot on our thermostat, and if anyone wants to turn it down, they got to put in some quarters. And I'm just kidding about that. But the point he's making is that the church should be in control of the temperature. The truth, and we do that through truth, but by following the patterns and principles of Scripture, because God has given us that common sense in which we are not rotten of mind and we're not corrupt of heart, and so we can be trusted with that. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we can bring a greater sense of peace, prosperity, and oneness in the culture when we have this singleness of thought. So we need to encourage that, the fact that God will homogenize our thinking. Second thing is, God says, I will heal your tr trauma. I will heal your trauma. Jeremiah 30 verse 17 says, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion, from whom no one cares. The rest of the world was saying to the Jews, Nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you guys thought you were so special. You said you're the chosen people. Now you're in captivity in Babylon. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Jewish people had become a laughing stock. And God says, I will restore you to health and heal your wounds because you're called an outcast. 
The pattern we see in Jeremiah, which assures us today, is that God will heal our wounds, both physical and emotional, which are a result of idolatry. I think this is especially important when you think about the victims of this pagan world that has captured a lot of Christian kids or kids that have grown up in Christian homes. Now, for those who are completely brought up in immorality, they can just live in immorality. But those who are brought up in morality and in the idea of principle and truth and honor and love, things like that, if they're living immoral, not only is their uh, heart struggling, but their, their spirit is. Because they know that the God's out there and he's disappointed and God says that I will heal them. And that's a promise. We can say, well, you deserve what you got. We should be praying for that restoration. The pagan secular socialist depends on debilitating this world. I think about safe zones in the universities. And it has taken our universities and all of education captive where young people, their morality or their, the things that they're going through cannot be addressed as a part of their trauma. And if you don't think that's true, just talk to a counselor who has boards over there that tell them, well, you can talk to them about this, you can talk to them about that, but you can't mention morality, you can't mention biblical things, you can't mention that truth because that would be considered reparation, well, not reparation, uh, yeah, re reparative therapy in some instances. It is so, it's gotten so far into our universities that Tenured professors are losing their jobs because they may say something that offends one of their freshman students, and their freshman student says, you can't say that hurts my feelings. And then they go and get a lot of signs with their friends. That professor hurt my feelings, and so we're going to get some signs, and we're going to protest. And then they do, and before you know it, the, the professor has to either apologize or they demote them and they put them into different kinds of jobs. And this hasn't just happened once or twice, it's happening all the time. If we can't speak truth to immorality and the problems that are going on because we want our kids to feel safe, then we're actually doing the opposite of them of that. We're making them as is described as snowflakes. They can't stand the heat, but they think they're real pretty. It's taken education, university, even politics captive. But God says, I got a better way. He says, I will restore the soberness of your mind. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 talks about this, where God says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is Peter talking. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That is, if we cast our anxiety on him. The basis or the, at the heart of all anxiety is sin. Because on some level we think that we are not performing as we should. That there are people who are rejecting us, who do not love us, and so we feel anxious. 
God says, well, I can fix that. Just cast your anxiety upon me because I care for you. It's the devil who wants to destroy you. I want to save you. People are going through all kinds of suffering. Let me help you be raised up through the God of grace who's called us to his eternal glory. Who says after a while, after you suffer just for a little while, I'll restore you. I'll make you strong, firm, and steadfast. What? Strong, firm, and steadfast. Can you imagine that? The New Testament principle which we apply to our healing is that as we cast our anxiety on our caring creator, he will give us the tools to defeat the devil, to be alert, sober, stand firm, to be restored and made strong. This is his promise. And so if we are worried about our kids and our grandkids who have succumbed some way to the paganism of this world and they are deeply captive, they're in the prisons of our captivity to this world, then encourage them to come out of that prison by casting their anxiety upon the Lord. Surely you're familiar, especially after this last couple of weeks, with the term mental health days. If you've watched the Olympics, as Andrew talked about, one of our premier athletes has said that she needed to skip some of the competition because she needed some mental health days. This first came to uh, our attention when Naomi Osaka, one of the best tennis players in the world, decided to skip major tennis tournaments. She's considered to be probably one of the best and the next in line to uh, Serena Williams. Is it Serena? Yeah, Serena Williams to be the number one tennis player. Now, for, uh, for us uh, older folks, um, when we were feeling down or depressed or whatever, we never considered getting a mental health day. Our mental health was getting in there, being productive, being thankful, working hard. And I don't mean to make light of it, but $1 trillion is lost in productivity worldwide because of mental health issues in the workforce. And people say, nope, we're the strongest we've ever been. <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety out there, and God wants to restore. This is how he restores the, the community. He restores us by restoring the soberness of our mind, healing our trauma. Only God can do that, so we need to let him do that. And then God says there, lastly, in Jeremiah 30, verse 18, I will habitat your treasure. He says, this is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be re rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. Basically, what that means is even though it was completely destroyed, the Walls of the city were torn down. The temple itself was burnt down completely. God was going to restore that community. The tents of Jacob is what that means by letting them rebuild right back on that spot. And what was meant to be a warning to the rest of the world that their God was dead or inept or weak 
God would use as a demonstration of his great power. And then not only that was the city rebuilt, but it was able to endure uh, the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire that sought to do away with it. And it held steady until Christ came and died on the cross, rose again, and then God says, okay, now the city is done. And Rome destroyed it. But the pattern which we see in Jeremiah, which repeats itself in our culture, is that the people in which God dwells, which is the church, God builds us right back on the areas of our life where we were destroyed to prove His power. So that we can, again, stand in the central place in our communities. The pagan secular socialist depends on the destructive ideas that it is the state that is the virtuous voice of God and not the scripture. So you notice how, especially lately, the state has been telling us, you know, how we can rebuild our economy and, and all the different things after COVID, stuff like that. And they're sounding more like they are pontificating from scripture than they are suggesting or offering opinions. And so this idea that the state is the virtuous voice of God in the form of reason, it has taken D.C. captive and it has given those who are in Washington and in the state houses, uh, they've been become drunk with what we call COVID power. <laughs> An example of that would be, I don't know, Gavin Newsom, Mario Cuomo, or is it, is it Mario, or is that his dad? Whatever, New York Mayor Cuomo. Gavin Newsom recently said about the new mask mandates that even if you were vaccinated, you needed to wear a mask in public again, and those who refused to do so would be like those who refused to not drink and drive. <laughs> Just think about that one. And I'm thinking, what? But you see, they'll do anything that they can to hold power over us, not because it has nothing to do with the issue. It has to do with the opportunity. They want to have influence and power over all of us, and they try to sound like they're the virtuous voice of humanity and of society and of history. And so they mandate one thing after another, and they do so because you're too stupid to know what's right or wrong or to do the right thing yourself. But God says, I'm the one that rest restores a spiritual sense of home. Galatians 6, 1 through 10 says, Brother and sister, if anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. God says our job is pretty easy, that when we see someone making a mistake, that we love them and we talk to them and we restore them, while we are careful not to fall into that same temptation. Because the New Testament principle at work through the church is the treasure invested in us to restore those in sin while we watch out for ourselves. This is our burden in life. But we don't do it because we say we're right. We do it because we know the word of God is right. What are we restoring them to? We're restoring them through the Holy Spirit 
to the idea of morality that comes from Scripture. But instead of focusing on what the Bible says is sin, we have these people in power who are saying that if I don't wear a mask or I don't get vaccinated, I'm a sinner. You get it? G.K. Chesterton wrote about virtues and vices. Um, I think I have a quote up here by him. People always brag about their vices. It is when they begin to brag about their virtues that they become insufferable. And that's what we have right now in this world where people are just bragging about how virtuous they are, how good they are, because they're so smart and they know so much better than you, and yet they're the very ones who refuse to call sin, sin. And what God is teaching us is He restores the spiritual sense of home when we restore people from sin. Now, we can deny that culture has been taking has been taken into neo-pagan captivity. I'm okay with that if you want to have that conversation and argument. And... You can also argue that we are not exiles in our own culture. You might think we're still good. We're in charge. We've got 70% who still believe in God, whatever the case might be. And there are those who believe that Christians make up the majority of those in this nation still and that God will bring a revival through us that will save this nation from falling deeper into idolatry. And if you believe that, that's fine. But I prefer, I would prefer... And, and I would prefer that to be the case. But either way, God's patterns and principles of restoration detailed in this message will be the only way through to restoration or revival. Because only God's will done through the church will bring the restoration of this great nation of ours, even if that is part of his plan. Now, we need to be careful because God may have some other thing in mind. But we know that if we'll abide by these and at least be like the Israelites who, who understood wherever we are, what are we doing, God will prosper us if we're just faithful to him. But here's part of the plan. Some simple things you can do. First of all, defeat the idea of identity politics in your own life. Anybody who talks about intersectionality who says you're different from that person, they're different from you, so you need to be tribal, you need to go into your own court, or say, no, thank you. I think I might just sit down and have coffee, coffee with this person or buy them dinner or lunch or whatever and have a conversation with them. Because it is the truth of unity through Christ Jesus that powers through our lives towards others that brings healing. It's when we do nothing and we let other people define the divisiveness that we begin to hate each other when we don't even know each other. And then the other thing we need to do is discipline our children to be strong mentally and physically. To find their safety in God. Life's tough. They're going to suffer. And if they're snowflakes, it will just make them... Go through suffering that's unneeded because God says, I will prepare you for whatever you have to go through. I will never put on you more than you can bear. And when you are in trouble, then you just stand up and I'll be with you. That's what we need to teach our kids. And we also need to disciple those we know about confession, repentance, and salvation. This is what restores our community. We need to call sin what is sin based upon what Scripture says and then honor God through that. And that's how God heals. And that's our home advantage. 
And this month, we're going to dig into this deeper. We're going to talk about community renovation, community remodeling, community redecoration, community repair, all as it is concerns the captivity to this pagan, pagan secular socialism that introduced today. Because we want to get safely home. And the only way we can get safely home is if we have safe homes for our children and our grandchildren to live in and safe communities for them to grow up in. And if we indeed have gone into a period of captivity, we need to be ready and praying for God to either revive or restore us. Lest our children and grandchildren might become the innocent victims as many have already done to this idea of Godless socialism. Now I know this is kind of a heavy thing to talk about and even think about. It is a serious thing for us to consider. But even as the Babylonians were knocking on the gates of Jerusalem, the people, the false prophets were saying, don't worry. God's got our back. Nothing bad will ever happen to us. When Jeremiah was saying, you better repent. You better submit. And so I think it's important for us, especially as a preacher, for me to make sure that if I see that the barbarians are knocking on the gate to come destroy us, I better alert you and at least have a conversation about it. In my heart of hearts, I would prefer it not to be so, but are beginning to see this to be the case. So pray for me as I share these messages with you. Pray for these messages as they might go out into the world through our streaming service too. That God may use it, use me and us to begin the restoration process. And it'll start with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, for the opportunity to dig into your word, to consider the principles and patterns we find in Jeremiah about restoration. And I pray, Lord, that it's not a, you know, sky is falling, sky is falling kind of mentality for us as we talk about it. But we are being surrounded by the enemy. And we're even being surrounded by our own friends and neighbors who are slipping into idolatry, which is your enemy. Unless we be overwhelmed or we don't have the perspective that we need to stand strong and overcome. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Open up our eyes and our hearts so we can see what's going on. Use me to that end, Lord, as we do this study. But at the same time, let us have confidence in knowing that you've always promised that where you would put us, even if we're in captivity, we can prosper, we can be productive, we can live our lives under your protection and in your love. So help us to continue to do that, Father. And we make this our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Let all God's people say, 